Lodge Podcast. With your host, Hodgie the Hack. Well, hello there, Canaries across the land, and welcome back to Hodge on Nodge, a cracking number of viewers already on the stream. Hello there, let us know that you are there, get in touch with your comments, I can see Adam and Dean are already kicking off the chat, that's brilliant. Um, what a week it's been, I do my transfer round table on the Monday, and then Norwich City just get down to business this week, so... So Hodge on Nodge episode number eight is again going to be transfer focused and focused for me, it's kind of, there's, there's going to be two sides to this. So obviously we all know a bit about Angus Gunn. I know quite a lot about Billy Gilmore and Dan O'Hagan here with us. Obviously we should say Billy's not confirmed yet, but reports seem to be saying that it's heading that way. And Dan O'Hagan is with us, a friend of the Norwich City fan community, former commentator on club matches for ITV Anglia and others. Dan, how are you, mate? Good to see you. Yeah, good to see you too. Yeah, great to be back um, with you. And uh, yeah, what a week it's been for Norwich. Some amazing news from Carroll Road in the last uh, 24 hours or so. Yes, indeed. Now, I didn't mention the final signing because, as always, I will defer to your greater knowledge on all things Bundesliga and pronunciations when you're a commentator are very much one of the most important factors. So how do we pronounce that name, my friend? Uh, Milot Rashica is uh, how he pronounces it himself. So we Rashica. go by what he says That's himself. That's what going to go with. Yeah, no, that's the one. I didn't want to get it wrong, but I was going to go with Rashitsa because normally I didn't have time to research it because as anyone who watches my channel will have seen, I'm doing a million podcasts a day at the moment. So um, all well and good with that. What do you think first off of Rashitsa? Like, t- tell me a bit about him, what kind of player he is and how I rate him. Um, exciting player, I think, is the first thing to say. Plays on the left-hand side of a front three, can play either down the middle as a centre forward or maybe just behind a main striker so can play really across any of those attacking roles maybe not so much on the right hand side like we saw with Emi Buendia in the last couple of seasons but um, I think in terms of what he brings he does bring a lot of Buendia qualities Um, as I say very technical player very exciting player at schools goals assists goals makes chances and uh, has done so obviously in the Bundesliga now for three years in the Dutch league, the Eredivisie before that. So a player who's got lots of top level experience at the age of only 24, almost 25. So I think for me to transfer, which ticks all the boxes Norwich need uh, to bring in a proven top level player at a really good price. So I think for Stuart Webber, it's a really good first one to get across the line. Yeah, it's a fantastic deal by the looks of it. Now, a couple of names were sort of thrown my way because I've spoken to another couple of people who cover the the Bundesliga regularly and Memphis Depay, Alexis Sanchez style player were, were, were two names that came up more than once. What's your um, what, what's your take on those comparisons? Do you think they're accurate? I think Depay maybe more than uh, Alexis Sanchez. Um, Rashidza has incredible raw pace. Uh, Raymond would play quite often uh, his last club on the counter and he was a really important player in that. Um, scored a great goal against Bayern a couple of years ago like that when he broke away and then scored um, into the top corner against Manuel Neuer, of all people, you know. So, yeah, I think he brings Memphis to pilot qualities. I see, as I say, Emi Buendia in there as well. Um, so, look, I think Rashidza is a player who will get fans when they're back at Carrow Road on, onto their feet because he's a proper crowd pleaser. Um, one of those real flair players. You know, this is a guy, Stuart, who was linked with clubs like AC Milan, like Napoli, a year and a half ago for £30 million, you know. So this is the level of yeah. player uh, Norwich have got. So this isn't a player who's a, a raw rookie and tried at this level. This is a proven off-the-peg, high-caliber, high-quality, experienced, top-level footballer. Yeah, I think that's obviously very encouraging to hear. But what what's happened? Now, some of the reports I saw were that until his head got turned by transfer interest, he was red hot in the Bundesliga quite regularly. And then obviously there's there's various things happened um, across the plan and, and, and everything else um, since then. But after that, there's this feeling that he dipped. So is that the reason that Norwich City have been able to get him at what, by the looks of it, is a cut price deal? Yes, I think so. But also don't forget, Bremen were relegated. Now, that's a club that's been hit really, really hard by the pandemic. They're very short of money. 
So to get in the whatever 10 million initial fee Norwich have paid for him, that will certainly boost Bremen's coffers for their bid to bounce back um, from the second division this coming season. But yeah, you mentioned the dip in form. When he first came over from Vitesse Arnhem um, in the winter window 2018, he was terrific. Then had two fairly prolific seasons too with Werder Bremen. In a pretty poor team, I have to say, with uh, Bremen. So he was really having to play in a side that was not cohesive or, or, or fluid. For me, they kept faith in the coach Florian Kofeld for far too long. And that also, I think, stifled and stymied um, Rashid Say in the last couple of seasons, especially. Um, so there are reasons for that dip in form. The team was really poor, as we say, relegated for the first time in 40 years at the end of last season. Um, but on, on his day, before that head was turned by that transfer speculation too, maybe a couple of years ago with, I think, Villa and, and AC Milan link with him um, back then, he was consistent. He was scoring goals, but mm-hmm. the dip in form was really noticeable. I think last season, um, he didn't score till April. He went between December 2019 and April of this year without scoring a single goal in the Bundesliga, or just one goal, sorry, in the Bundesliga. And that was on the last day of the previous season. Um, why so, so profligate? He... Sorry? Why, why so profligate? Why, why was he not given the same return? <sighs> Hard to say. The team obviously weren't making chances. And I think he's a player who needs the coach's arm around him sometimes. And I think when the team's maybe finding the going tough anyway, that's hard for the coach to do. Um, Cawthorn was under huge pressure, the coach, to turn things around uh, with Werder Bremen. It wasn't happening. And Rashica, I think, certainly suffered. Um, there was, again, before last season kicked off, lots of speculation about he was going to maybe move away again then. Maybe his head was further turned. So I don't think his focus has been there now for 18 months. But when his head is right, when his game is right, when he's in the right place, Milot Rashica is a really, really special footballer. Hi, sorry about that. Is everybody back with us? I think there was a brief internet outage there. We're back in the room. We're back in the room. Three, two, one, we're back in the room. Look into the eyes, look into the eyes, don't look around the eyes, don't look around the eyes. We are all back under the spell of Mr. Dan O'Hagan once again. Um, yeah, Dan, so sorry, you were, you were just saying there that basically we've got a very talented player on a cut price deal. The Emi Buendia comparison is obviously... I mean, people saying that, and, and you're not the only person that I've, I've seen or heard say that. I mean, for Norwich City fans, that's like, oh my goodness, we've replaced Emmy Wendy and we've still got £25 million in the bank. In fact, one of the comments said exactly that. So on that basis, I think uh, Roger Mallet it was who said that. Uh, on that basis, I mean, Norwich fans will be getting really excited. We've seen, I'm sure, quite a few of us, some of the goals, some of the clips that the Bundesliga are obviously really good at sharing. And he does look to be a proper technician, a player that thrives in transition play. Um, what's he like in terms of the off-the-ball side? Because I think that was part of what made Emi Buendia particularly special, was what he did in terms of winning the ball in the high press and 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 getting possession back for his team, as well as, obviously, the, the goals, the assists, the production. Um, does Rashica have that as well? Or is he more of just like the kind of creative hub type player? Yes, the latter. I don't see um, Rashidza yet having in his game the work ethic we saw from Buendia. Um, he's not a, a lazy player by any stretch, but I don't see him or have seen him tracking back uh, for Werder Bremen the way we saw Buendia track back for Norwich. Um, so I'm sure Daniel Farker can work on that side of his game maybe. But um, look, as you say, they're in transitional play. When they break away Werder Bremen and he's on the ball, he gets fans on their feet. Um, a scorer of special goals uh, can take a, a mean free kick as well. I think as on offensive talent um, for the price they have paid, if you're looking to replace Bundia, I can't think of a better play you could have got for that kind of fee to come into the squad to take his place. So I think for Stuart Weber, on paper, this looks like a classic Weber signing of a, of a young player, a hungry player with a point to prove who ticks all the boxes. Yeah, the free kick thing interests me. So what is is it just free kicks in particular or is his overall set-piece prowess quite decent? Yeah, I mean, he's a very talented set-piece player, but he has scored a couple of uh, very good free kicks too in the Bundesliga. So I think around the box, the kind of player who doesn't lack in confidence, he'll grab that ball and say, this is mine and I'm going to have a go with this. So um, yeah, I think um, 
He'll certainly be for Norwich uh, in that attacking third, a real asset. And look, this is a guy they've got for under £10 million initially, who has got year after year of experience playing in one of Europe's top leagues. And uh, you can't really um, underplay that. Um, you know, this is the guy, as I say, he was rated at 30 million only a couple of years ago. So um, I think to get them, to get him at the price they have, I think that's almost kind of sorcery. So the one concern would potentially be he's just come off the back of a relegation. So does he have that ability that if the, I mean, it, so I'm thinking more of the mentality side now, because it's all well and good being a good player in a good team. And when sort of everything's rosy in the garden, then you're, you're creating chances and doing lovely things on the ball and what have you. But does he have that bit that you think he, if, if it gets difficult, if it gets a bit fraught for Norwich City towards the end of next season, does he have that bit Do you think that he can get it, the bit between his teeth and, and properly be up for a fight against relegation? Well, I mean, I will say we saw this season his head was clearly down. Um, didn't score at all until April. And when he did score, it was a penalty against Leipzig. And uh, I remember after the game, the coach Florian Kohfeldt saying that um, it was his call to give him that penalty to try and get some belief back into him with a, a goal. Um, so maybe he's a player whose head can at times drop a bit. And this is going to be a tough season for Norwich. We, we've been there before. We know what the Premier League is like yeah. uh, for a team like Norwich who are just up. I think this time they'll be a little more streetwise, a little bit better prepared for it. But um, Rashica will have to, I'm afraid, be a player to maybe get stuck in and roll his sleeves up a bit because it won't be an easy season at all. Um, so he's gone from one relegation to now probably a relegation fight in the Premier League. So we'll see if he does have the metal to kind of step up to that. We, um, oh, I just came out of the shower so you can see my hair's all over the place. Uh, I would say that when it comes to that in particular, I think that's my big concern with this because the one thing that I've I've sort of seen from what I've kind of read and looked at over the last few days is that you've got someone that when he fancies it can be pretty special. But what Norwich City need next season is they need fighters. Now, the one thing that kind of maybe counterbalances that for me is he's got a point to prove, as you say. There's a real hunger there. There's obviously a desire to prove himself in the best league in the world, trademark. Um, all of that kind of stuff. Do you think the the move to England will be a real carrot for him in terms of as a motivation because of the? I mean, there's there's no doubt globally it's the the biggest stage in the world football wise. Well, in terms of a domestic league, so on that basis, do you think that can act as as a real motivational thing for him? I think a fresh start is what the player needed. Um, he'd spent obviously three and a half years in the Bundesliga in, as I say, a team that was always struggling. Uh, relegation playoffs and then eventually in the season just gone uh, finally Werder Bremen were relegated so that fresh start um, I think obviously maybe I'm not sure how good the player's English is but obviously I think having Daniel Farker there that bridge of being able to speak German with him and the coaching staff will be a carrot as well to help him settle in um, and yeah I'm sure you know he'll see it as a progression you know, from the Eredivisie then to the Bundesliga for a spell and now the Premier League so yeah a chance for him to play in a different league maybe um you know in a league some would see as maybe the best league in Europe but um yeah it's uh, I think for the player a great challenge but make no mistake he has the raw tools he has everything in his toy box to be a big big success my only query would be that mentality if it does become a really ugly difficult season if he is going to be the kind of player who will get stuck in and, and almost do a Buendia, roll his sleeves up and, you know, joining the defensive side of the play as well as the attacking. That, that That's my concern. So off the ball generally, I mean, what is he like? Is, is he going to be a bit of a passenger in terms of when, when Norwich don't have possession? Or is he a player that, that, that does have some understanding of shape and, and the tactical side of the game, at least in, in that side of the ball? Well, he's worked with Florian Kohfeldt, who um, though I, I felt he was kept in the job for too long at Bremen. He's considered one of the, the best young tactical, technical coaches um, in the Bundesliga or was in the Bundesliga. Um, so he certainly had a good schooling with him um, at Werder Bremen. In terms of, as I say, when I've seen him play, he's always quite peripheral until the team counter. So I don't think you'll see him involved too much. Um, in the play when Norwich were on the back foot. But when they do break away, that lightning acceleration and that eye for a goal and that willingness to, to, to burst away and make things happen, I think will make him an asset. But um, I would just 
temper Norwich fans' um, hopes and say, this is not a guy who's going to be winning tackles. You know, yeah. he, he's a guy who'll do things in the final third, not the defensive third. Yeah, that's fair enough. Um, with the good pl- question coming from Lee Coates, he's asking, does this mean Cantwell will go and play on the right? So when you analyse where Norwich City are at tactically, uh, and you reflected what I heard um, from from the other people that I spoke to, which was essentially they can play coming in off the left, right-footed, or he can play maybe just off a main striker. That seems to be where he's most comfortable. So what that says to me is that there's, unless there's there's a target, which there could well be for that that Buendia position rather than role on on the right-hand side, then perhaps what Norwich City are thinking of doing is maybe using Todd Cantwell and deploying him in a different way. Could this lead to maybe a slight rejig of of the the three behind the striker if that's the the shape that Daniel Farker employs for the most part next season? Do you think? I think every chance. I think certainly when I've seen Rashidsu, he's played really on the left hand side, coming in on the left hand side of, of a front three normally. And for Berta Bremen, not seen him play on the right-hand side too much. So maybe there will be a different role for Todd Cantwell uh, playing in that Buendia role for next season. But um, yeah, exciting times. You, know, you talk about um, Cantwell, there's Kieran Dowell as well. You know, you look at the attacking talents Norwich have, um, you throw Rashica into that mix. And OK, they've lost Buendia, but it's still really exciting. It is. And do you know what? For all that we've lost, and, and episode six of this podcast was, was Adios Emi. It was paying tribute to a player that will go down as one of the most talented in the history of the club, undoubtedly. But sometimes what you need at a football club is you need new faces in to try and regenerate things. And sometimes losing one and bringing a few new ones in can work well. And if you look at every time Norwich City have sold a player for a record fee and lost their best player under Stuart Webber, they've gone and got better. So I think the the, the anything, we might as well leave that behind. And I think this signing as well, I mean, if you just look at the Norwich City fan base and the social media and stuff at the moment, then you, you can see there's a tangible excitement that, you know what, we're finally getting our act together, we're doing a bit of it. Well, I say finally, it's still, still fairly early in the window. But I think with, with everything else, away from the sporting side that was going on at the football club, there was a bit of just everyone was getting a bit, a bit kind of worried that uh, the old going to war without a gun was coming up again, you know, uh, that old soundbite. But I think... I think everyone is genuinely excited about this one. And I think also the fact that there's a sense that Norwich City have gone and done it again in terms of getting value for money, albeit it was a substantial outlay. But once more, it's value for money. It's improving the squad. It's improving the level of of things that we've got at our disposal. And the, the other thing, just when you're talking about the mix there, mate, I mean, there's a few players in the Norwich City squad that I think are good championship players, but not necessarily going to be effective in the Premier League. I'm getting the impression that we're going to bring in more players, and and we've already got a few more through the door, that are going to be effective Premier League players. And I think that's obviously got got to be a positive, doesn't it? Yeah, I think as well, we're seeing Norwich now are in a much better place um, than they were certainly two years ago with that surprise promotion. Um, the finances are in the right place now. They can go and compete uh, for players who can come in and be off the peg Premier League footballers. And I just think this whole um, Rasicca signing is one which just, as you mentioned there, kind of blows away the negativity, the whole farce of the sponsorship deal which was then um, cancelled and the sale of Buendia all those negative stories which have dominated the early part of pre-season um, now suddenly it's yeah we've gone out and we've got a, a really top player now Angus Gunn's come in as well today as well so it just turns the whole mood um, towards one of positivity which I think Norwich had to do and for me it's win-win for all parties for Rashidza, um for Werder Bremen as well to, to, to get some money in um, for Daniel Farker to get a, a, a great talent to replace Bondia and for the fan base too to have a really exciting player to look forward to seeing as well so for me everyone wins in this transfer for me Do you think the, the obviously the fact that we're, we're going to come on to talk I should say for everyone because I'm seeing the questions about other players and, and stuff in the chat. We will come on to talk about them. I'm just really keen to learn more about Rashidza. Um When you consider, obviously, Daniel Farker and the rest of the coaching staff and, and the whole Norwich City operation has had quite close links with Germany ever since Stuart Webber came on board for, for, for a multitude of reasons. Now, 
with that in mind, do you think that is a factor in, in the fact that we can recruit these players and the assurance with which Norwich City are going about some of their business right now in, in terms of, if you look at, Farker knows the kind of players he likes and although Stuart Webber is the sporting director, he's obviously not going to just bring players in if Daniel Farker doesn't fancy them. You know, that I mean, there, there's an open line of communication there. But do you think that th- those tentacles that Norwich City have sort of stretching into Germany and the fact as well, um, a bit like we've proved ourselves as a, a training ground for young young players on loan to, to develop and get better as well as growing our own players through the academy, a lot of German players might be looking at it and saying, you know what, Mario Vrancic had a good spell there, Marco Stieperman had a good spell there, you know, um, for all the Philip Heises and, and, and such of the world. Uh, there's usually two or three of the, the other case studies that you can look at and you can say they've done well. And obviously that relationship with players, German players and German bass players, that's surely got to be for the likes of Arashitsa coming from the Bundesliga. That's maybe going to twist his arm if there are a few other options on the table, I would think. Yeah, I would say as well that Norwich now, certainly they are known in Germany. Um, Obviously, uh, the Farker connection, the players who've gone there as well. And Norwich's kind of hit-to-miss ratio has been really good with players from the Bundesliga or even from the German second division. Um, So that obviously is working well. You know, I remember speaking to Stuart Webber um, at an event in early 2019, and I was amazed by his knowledge of German football. We spent maybe 10 minutes chatting about players on the fringe of the Mainz first team. And he knew... He knew as much as I did um, about, you know, really fringe players, niche players at Mainz. And I thought, wow, this guy knows his Bundesliga. Um, So don't underestimate the Weber um, network. You know, this is a guy who, who, who knows European football, maybe especially German football, more than most inside out. And... If there are bargains to be had and players to be found, um, he has a great chance of of doing that and finding those players. So, yeah, yeah. I think that the whole Norwich um, link now, the kind of symbiosis they have with German football, it's only been a good thing. And as I say, the number of hits to misses, you know, it's by far in the favour of the hits at Norwich. And I see no reason why Rashica wouldn't be another big, big hit. Yeah, well, that, that that's obviously quite encouraging. Um, you mentioned Angus Gunn. He's a player that we know well. He's very much one of our own. It's in his blood to be a Norwich City goalkeeper, um, given his dad and such. So I, I think getting him back through the door is, is good. I mean, I think it's definitely been something that I've spotted as when Norwich City go up a division, there's a desire to make sure that the backup goalkeeper is a strong goalkeeper. Uh, I mean, you saw that with Furman coming in uh, the, for the for the last Premier League campaign. And although he didn't see that much football, it was it was more about having. I also should say I saw him play against Manchester City in the Champions League for Schalke. Very good goalkeeper. So that season, Norwich City had two very good viable options for the Premier League. Obviously, they consider Angus Gunn to be the same. It should be said that Angus Gunn is coming off a pretty indifferent season, maybe a poor season even. Um, when I saw him playing a couple of games with Stoke, he looked rather uncertain and not the not the same standard of championship goalkeeper that we saw in his spell with Norwich City, which has is, is probably been the most successful spell in his career to date. But how happy are you, obviously with your, your fondness for Norwich as well, seeing Angus Gunn come back through the door? I think it's one which, again, ticks the boxes. Obviously, the the emotional tie as well of uh, a gun coming back to Norwich. Um, that first spell when he was on loan, um, he was wonderful. I mean, that season when Norwich, in Farker's first year, obviously found the going pretty tough in, in that division. And he mm-hmm. was, without doubt, their best player that season, maybe. Um, him and Madison. Oh, Madison. Um, yeah. I'll give it to Maddles just yeah. over there. Yeah. But I, I just think, as you say, he's had a difficult time away. Um, didn't work out at Southampton, the loan with Stoke you mentioned. Um, but look, he's a quality goalkeeper. Um, and, you know, I was at a fairly low level of goalkeeper myself. And you can't... How did I not know this, mate? <laughs> there, there, there is no position on a pitch where confidence, self-belief is more important. And when that gets knocked as a goalkeeper, it takes some time to get back. So I think the fresh start will do Angus Gunn the world of good. 
He's coming into a warm environment. He's coming back to a club where that name is revered, where he's loved, where his dad will forever be one of the icons of, of Norwich City Football Club. I just think it is the perfect restart for him, a reboot for his career. Yeah. And OK, he's got a, a tough battle to get the first team gloves off Tim Krull. But um, I think as a number two, as a backup goalkeeper, for that price too, I think 2.5 rising to £5 million, another good piece of business in, 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 in principle at least. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. I think the other thing that I like about it is I think he's a different type of goalkeeper from Tim Krull, which is important. He, he's, he's a bit more of the sort of modern distributor type keeper, whereas Krull's more of the, the your standard kind of old school sort of goalkeeping. That said, Tim Krull has improved that side of his game immensely. Uh, and, and that's another thing that gives me a bit of pride, just so watching Scotland at the Euros and seeing Grant Hanley in a Scotland jersey and contrasting the pre-Norwich Grant Hanley that played for Scotland with the current iteration, it's night and day. And it's, it's actually, it's a, it's a kind of good way to to assess how the the development of players happens at Norwich City Football Club now, because obviously with putting them in a different jersey, it kind of gives you that sort of sense of distance, you know, and it's, it's easier almost rather than it being a, a gradual improvement that you see, you can actually see the, the fluctuation, you know. And I think that that that's really encouraging. And I think for, for all of these players coming in, that's got to be an encouraging factor as well. The fact that Norwich City do... I mean, they are now known as a club that bring players on. And that is massive with the, the stature and the level of the game that Norwich City are operating at to be recognised as such. And as you say, the network that Stuart Webber and, and Kieran Scott and everyone else involved in the recruitment set up... That, that vast plethora. And in the episode about um, Emi Buendia, Adam Brandon mentioned meeting Marielena Sotaki, who's one of the Norwich scouts, uh, a, a game in South America. And a bit like yourself, Adam's obviously an expert in football in that part of the world. Mariella, who's not obviously at the same level of of operation uh, or in terms of how she operates at the club, the same level of stature as a Stuart Weber or a Kieran Scott. She's still an encyclopedia of knowledge for the part of the world that she's in charge of the scouting for, you know? So that just tells you the level of the scouting operation there. And I think it just, I'm really proud to see it. And I'm also excited by the fact that Stuart Weber, for the first time, I mean, the soundbite is going to war without a gun. Well, he can now afford to go into the gun store, you know, and buy some. And it's the first time he's been able to do that. So it's, it's really exciting to see him have the chance to properly flex his muscle because actually it's the first time as a sporting director and, and there's, there's an element of challenge in that as well because it's the first time he's dealing with deals in this kind of region where it's it's stretching into eight figures and, and things like that. Whereas even at Huddersfield where he built a team that was good enough to stay in the Premier League division for an extra season, Premier League division? Premier League for an extra season. He did that with David Wagner, and he still did that in a budget. And the last time Norwich City were more about safeguarding the finances and the long-term health of the club. This time, he's got a chance to twist a bit in terms of the hand that he's got. And I'm really excited to see what he does. And I think there's going to be more in the pipeline as well. Yeah, I'd agree. I think um, it's been a good start this week. Um, with the players they've brought in. But um, yeah, it's a Norwich now, which is in a, a far better position than it was two years ago. As you say there now, there's some wiggle room to be able to go and, and spend some money. But it, I mean, there's not money there to gamble, but it's money to kind of invest sensibly. And I think Rashidza and Gunn, they're sensible transfers. Um, you know, we both know what these players are about. They're proven mm -hmm. um, at, at, at a high level. Um, so yeah, I think the days of Norwich having to almost you know take a punt on a cheaper option and hope he'd be okay. Now they can maybe spend a bit more and get a player they know is going to be or has a much better chance of being able to settle and do a job in the Premier League. Mm -hmm. No, I totally agree. I have also, I mean, another couple of players that have been linked that we're getting asked about. Billy Gilmore, obviously mentioned. And then you've got Christopher Ayer, who's played quite a lot for, for Celtic in Europe and, and things like that. And a, a very good technical defender, tall as well, six foot five, and good at stepping out from the back. Uh, I spoke quite at length about Christopher Ayer on episode seven of the podcast. What's your opinion on him? 
a player I've only seen, you know, in fits and starts, but when I've seen him, he looks commanding and convincing, as you say, a footballing centre-half. Um, so, yeah, I mean, whether he can make the step up from the Scottish Premiership to the Premier League, um, I, I don't know. He's obviously um, a player with uh, lots of pedigree um, in Scotland, but uh, we shall see. The one for me, though, is Billy Gilmore. I think that would be for Norwich a really, really um, intelligent acquisition. We nice. saw the job they did with Oliver Skip last year. And mm-hmm. clearly, I think now the bigger clubs will see Norwich as a club they can trust to develop their younger talents. You know, Spurs got great return from Skip in the year he had at Norwich. Undoubtedly, will be back at Spurs now as a much better player. I think Gilmore needs another year at Norwich, you know, to to develop because he's not going to be a first choice at Chelsea. Um, No matter how good he is, he's not good enough to be in that Chelsea team week in, week out. So a year at Norwich, I think, would do him and Scotland, for your sake, the the, the world are good as well. Mate. I mean, he's already one of the best players in the Scotland team, if not. Uh, well, definitely, I think, out with the defence, he's the best player we've got already at 20, having made one competitive start. He's unbelievable. I've I've said it in a few. I mean, anyone that reads my tweets and, and stuff like that will see that I, I laud him all the time. I think he comes from three miles down the road from where I grew up, and he is the absolute pride of this entire county. It's amazing to see what he's doing. We're all absolutely delighted. And there's, you know, that way, see in Scotland, there's a polarity sometimes because you've got the Celtic and the Rangers and people just fight and squabble and argue. But with Billy Gilmore, it's just unanimous, brilliant son, on you go, you know? And that that's really nice to see, that sort of unity and, and support for him. But it's deserved. I watched him at the Toulon tournament at length a couple of years ago Then Scotland under-20s were there. I was there. Hey, where are you? Were you commenting? I was, yeah. I, um, he was player of the tournament and he, I, I described it then, I said he's the Scottish Chavi, like that is absolutely what he is and the two main things that stuck out about him were his ability to make an angle for a pass, right, which people talk about a lot but see to make those slight angles that just make you available by, I mean I'm not going to get too, I've described him as a Pythagorean knowledge of angles that he's got, right, but I without getting too into the thing, if if you can make like a sort of half window that makes it available and then go and receive the pass, that's one part of it. He also does the second thing, which is, okay, two people are closing me down from that side. What most players do is they take a touch and then move away. What he does is he takes a touch that already buys him that second or second and a half of extra time to do his next thing. And then the third step in the, the Billy Gilmer process is he will then zip a pass so the, there was a couple of times against England where you would have players closing them down and a lesser deep-line midfield player would knock it to the full-back, play it back to the centre-back. Billy Gilmer didn't do that. He zipped a pass in that other people wouldn't have seen to someone in the kind of number eight, number 10 position. And what would have been Scotland under pressure, needing to clear their lines, became us running at the England defence. That's what he offers. He's a very, very special talent. He's not the same as Ollie Skip. He's a better footballer than Ollie Skip, but he's probably not as, he's obviously not as physically strong or, or tall, but, uh, and, and maybe some work to do on, on, on the defensive side of the ball, I would say, but I think as when Norwich City have possession, he's going to be special for us. I, I'm really excited. If, if it obviously goes through, which it seems to all intents and purposes like, from, from all the reports we're reading, that that does seem set to happen. So, yeah, I, I'm really excited by him, mate. I really hope to. He's not a player that Chelsea ruined because Chelsea, for years and years, they're young players. They've they've not done the right thing by them. Um, they've had too many of the wrong loans. They come back. There's no chance of first in football. They get loaned out again. You think of players like... Um, uh, Josh McEachran, uh, like um, yeah. Todd Kane, Nathaniel Chalaba, these players who had enormous potential, as Billy Gilmore does now, but didn't make the final push at Chelsea because they weren't given either the right chance or the right loan. Now, I think Norwich City for Gilmore would be the right loan at the right time. Absolutely. And I really hope that Chelsea understand that. And when he gets a chance at Norwich, he then gets a chance either to go back to Chelsea and play first-team football or to let the player go and move on on a full-time basis to a club where he's going to play more football. So, obviously, with Chelsea, you've got to look at it and you've got to say, 
there's a good chance that, I mean, the lifespan of a manager at Chelsea is not necessarily going to be long. But Thomas Tuchel and Daniel Farka have a really strong relationship from from way back in, the, in their time at Borussia Dortmund. And when I spoke to, when Daniel Farka was first coming in, I did a piece for the Pinkin uh, with Ingo Prouse, who's the Borussia Dortmund 2 sporting director. And he he told me about the relationship that the two of those have, the differences between him and David Wagner and all the rest of it. And what struck me was he, he seemed to speak glowingly about the relationship between Tuchel and Farka. And I think that trust there is important as a, as a starting base. So you're obviously mentioning the work with Ollie Skip and other loanees that the clubs will be looking at. But that trust between, I mean, it's like anything else in life. If you've got a trust with someone who you know personally, then you're going to have more faith in them to deliver on whatever whatever they're saying they're going to do. And I think that could be big for Norwich City. And I think as well that might play into what you were saying there, that if he does have a good year at Norwich City, that he does go back and he has a chance at Chelsea. I mean, he's, the main problem for him at Chelsea is N'Golo Kante, who's <laughs> a magnificent footballer and it's going to be really hard to knock him out of the team. But for Norwich City, like looking at, at the season ahead, if this one happens, then I mean we're beginning to build a really strong spiny football team. I think. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And it's obviously the team that came up did well in the Championship, but the Premier League we know is a very, very different animal. And every play you can add to kind of uh, make that team more Premier League ready. I think is only going to be a good thing. And the early signs are in this window that Norwich appreciate um, where they are and what they can do now in the transfer market. And um, yeah, it's been a wonderful two days, you know, and who knows what's going to come in the next uh, week or so, because you said earlier, it's still early in pre-season. The players aren't even back in, in full training yet. So to get these players on board through the door straight away, you know, this is going to be, I think, for Norwich fans, a really, really busy and really exciting summer. Yeah, I, I totally agree, mate. I, I I don't think we're even halfway through the business necessarily yet. I think it's going to be a really, really busy season of turnover. And yeah, I, I think it's I think it's an exciting place to be, to be honest. Um for anyone looking for a few more thoughts about Christopher Ayer, then I, I would say but I went a bit of detail in the in the previous podcast if you want to listen to that. He's a defender. I mean, I must admit, of all the signings that Norwich City seem poised to make, he's the one that I'm least excited about because I'm not not 100% convinced that he can step in and straight away be a commanding Premier League defender. He's also more technical than he is physical, despite his six foot five stature. So that's not necessarily in keeping with what ah. I think Norwich City should be doing. What I'm wondering, actually, is if they maybe see him as potentially moving into a deep-line midfield role or if Norwich City maybe switch to using a back three on more occasions next season because I can see Daniel Farker definitely doing that. He's shown his tactical adaptability time and again. And I think that will be maybe where the thinking is with Ayer because I don't think, obviously we're hoping Grant Hanley's okay when the prognosis comes out about the injury that he suffered, but I think Hanley and Gibson have got to be your go-to to start the season. But the most important thing is options, and that's that, that, that's a key facet there. Now, obviously you're quite connected to the greater zeitgeist of, of German football in particular. Are there any other targets that you've heard mentioned at any length that you, you think are substantial coming from Germany or anyone else that you think would be a particularly good fit for the areas of the team that we might be looking at? Not really, but I think what I would say is that uh, Norwich now are on German clubs and German players' radars. Um, the Rashica deal was not mentioned. There was, there was no speculation anywhere in the German press this was going to happen. So just because it's not been mentioned doesn't mean Weber isn't looking or the club aren't looking um, at players in the Bundesliga. But mm. as I said earlier, the Norwich hit-to-miss ratio of players coming in from the German game is extremely high. So I would not be surprised at all if before the window's out, Norwich go back to the Bundesliga or even the, the German second tier and pluck one or, one or two more names out to bring to Carrow Road. Yeah, uh, I can definitely see that happening. If anybody has any questions that they want to get in for myself and Dan just before this sort of final segment of the show, then please do so. 
Um, I'm going to move on to some of them now. So if I just scroll quickly through them. Um, so, right, Rashidza is obviously playing sort of predominantly off the left and maybe he's a number 10. Which do you think, and this is for me, by the way, which do you think is his best position out of those two? I think wide left. I think uh, he's not the finisher you need down the middle. Um, I think he's more of a provider. He did have a couple of good years when he scored, I think, eight and nine goals in the 18, 19 and 19, 20 seasons maybe, but the goals dried up after December 2019. Um, so he's not really a player who's going to get you 15, 20 goals a season. Um, so I see him more as a left-hand side uh, provider, a player who can really spark the counter-attack. Um, so yeah, I think that's his best position for me. But he can play anywhere across that that attacking area, even right-hand side. So anywhere in those attacking positions, he'll fit in and do a job. Was he... What's his kind of goal-to-assist ratio? Like, how many goals does he score for each assist that he makes? Don't have the numbers to hand, but his record, I think, was, uh, in terms of goals, 87 games, 21 goals, which sounds decent for a, a oh, wide anyway, player. You don't have the numbers to hand, yet you can call that off oh, the top of your head. That's a proper Some call. homework. Some homework. <laughs> Always come prepared. Uh, but anyway, yeah, so, so that sounds good numbers, 21 goals, 87 matches. But as I say, did have a 14-month run of one goal uh, between December of uh, 19 and April of this year. So he had that that really barren spell. So he's not a regular goal scorer uh, when the going gets tough, but he's a, certainly a player who involves himself in, in the attacking phases and, and can make things happen. I just think he's a player that needs to be in a better team and a team where the coach can put his arm around him and just give him that uh, that nudge and that encouragement when he needs it. No, that, that that makes that that makes sense. But if anything, what I'm kind of because I'm feeling so positive right now, what I'm deducing from that is I'm thinking, well, goodness me, if he's gone 14 months scoring one goal, how good was that purple patch before that? You know, and um, what was his background like before sort of uh, his time at Werder Bremen? What, what do you know of him sort of previous to that? Well, he was at Vitesse Arnhem in the Dutch Eredivisie for I think three seasons. His record there was obviously good enough to win him move to Germany. So. He's not a player who's just had a three-year spell in the German game and then he's onto the Premier League. He's got a good foundation to in a decent kind of mid-level league like the Eredivisie. So he's certainly a player who's got a lot of experience playing in top leagues um, in Western Europe. So exciting. You know, he's a player clearly um, that uh, Farker and Weber have looked at. Uh, they feel he can add things to Norwich from the get-go. And I just think, yeah, as I said earlier, for the price they've paid, I couldn't really have envisaged a better Okay, not like for like, but squad replacement for Emi Buendia. You know, to spend a fraction of the Buendia money on a player like Rashica, I think, is um, really, really clever business and is classic Stuart Webber. Yeah, it's classic Webber, I agree. Um, question in from Cameron Hansu. He's asking, is there a possibility of having both Skip and Gilmar or is this the Skip replacement? Um, I think we, we kind of hinted at this one earlier, Cameron, when I was saying that there are different types of players but I think in terms of the area of the team and then their sort of primary job and, and space that they occupy, uh, I would believe that it would be it would be Gilmer that would occupy that particular part, maybe beside Kenny McLean in the middle of the park, would be the way that Norwich City would go into next season with their, their first choice two deep-sitting midfield players. That's not to say that the skip deal won't happen, but part of me kind of thinks... Now, I, I don't have any sort of up-to-date gen on this, I should say. That's why we do the transfer roundtable, so as I can ask the likes of Michael Bailey and Connor Southwell those questions. But yeah, Matt, Matt, I don't. I think if it was going to happen, then the wheels might have been in motion a bit sooner than they are right now. What do you reckon, Dan? I think with Skip, we won't know really until Spurs appoint a new coach, because obviously the new coach may fancy Skip to be in their first team for next season, or it may be a coach who comes in thinks he needs one more year out on loan somewhere. And I think Norwich would be obviously now in the Premier League a, a very attractive proposition um, for Skip to you know to go back to because he had a wonderful year last year. We know how good he was in Norwich's promotion, and I just don't see him yet as being a player who, regardless of who the coach is at Spurs, being a player who starts week in week out. So I think personally, only a personal hunch, but I think he does need another year on loan, and I can't think of a better place for Oliver Skip than to come back to Norwich. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Um, I have another question here, which oh, if I click the right button, Max Willis is asking, can you see us 
still going for another forward, or do you think Rashica covers that area now in terms of replacing Buendia? Um, what do you reckon to that one, Dan? I've got some thoughts on that, but I'll let you field that one first. Well, obviously, they're going to rely on Temu Puki an awful lot. Um, obviously, injuries at the end of last season did show that um, when he's out, they are a team that don't have that many options. Um, Adam Ida, will he be good enough and uh, and ready enough for you know to play a backup role in the Premier League? I'm not quite so sure he's at that stage yet. Maybe he needs a, a year out on loan somewhere in the Championship, perhaps. And Rashica can play through the middle. Um, as I say, his goal scoring is not... Um, wonderful, not not prolific, but can certainly be a, a good backup to 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 Pookie, um, if re, if required. But I, I just think, yeah, I think they could well bring in another striker. But strikers, we know, cost money. That'll be another big chunk of the uh, Bundia money gone if they do bring in a, a proven striker um, at that level. But that's not to say there's not bargains out there. We know Weber will cast that net far and wide. Um, so we'll see Always. if they do if they do bring a striker in who they can find. I don't think they'll manage to do another Pookie and find a play on a free transfer quite as good as that, but you never know. Yeah, I think they would do well to replicate that. I think any club in world football would, to be honest, given the, the goal return that he's had since his time at Norwich City. Um, I, I do actually have some, some thoughts on the question, but just on Adam Ida, my understanding as of, as of a couple of weeks ago, having spoken to people at the club, is that he will be staying at the club next season uh, and that they, they definitely see him as part of the, the the setup there. So I think it would be you'd be more likely to keep him and send out Jordan Hugo if it was one or the other. And I don't know because I've not had it confirmed, but I think that they will be targeting another forward. I think you've got to, given the the potential durability issues that are going to be with Temu Puki because he's just played too much football, the guy. What's happened is we're a COVID-condensed campaign compounded by international fixtures and everything else. It's basically got to the stage that these guys are, are pretty much running and empty. So I, I I think I think I would be surprised if Norwich City didn't bring in another forward option. But uh, as I say, I do the Ida stuff is qualified by having spoken to people. That's more just my opinion. Um on, on Maxi's question. I would be very surprised if we didn't reinforce with at least one other body to play in those three behind the striker type role. Uh, I think someone to play whose natural domain is on the right flank, regardless of whether they're more of a winger or more of a, a sort of technical cut inside playmaker type. I think the latter is probably more likely because that's what Daniel Farker's style is kind of predicated on. So I think that could be that could be a factor. Um, just in the previous question, Lee Coates makes a good point. What about Sorensen playing in the skip role? That's that, that's a good point. He was someone who played all his best games at left back, and I think the application that he showed when he when he had to step into a role that he'd never played before as a professional was, was commendable. Sorensen. So interested to see what he can do if he gets a few more minutes in his natural position next season. Um, Another question here from Ollie Middleton. He says, could loan moves from high-level Bundesliga clubs be an option? And are loan moves common from your Bayerns and, and Dortmunds of the world? Yeah, of course. Uh, Norwich have had a loan from Dortmund, haven't they, with um, Felix Pass like a couple of years ago. didn't work out. Um, so there are options there. There are players on the fringe at Bayern and Dortmund especially um, who do need to maybe uh, move on to get some loan experience. Um, and yeah, we've mentioned the uh, the well, the you know, the, the Norwich network and the way they can find these players. They have this wonderful um, network of scouts and uh, and Weber's knowledge is wonderful as well. And if there are players there, I'm sure he'll, he'll find them and be aware of them. But um, yeah, I think they do need another forward. You mentioned Jordan Hugel, who is a great worker, but I don't see as a Premier League striker maybe in a on a regular basis. So I do think maybe another forward is uh, is. I wouldn't say essential, but certainly uh, will be fairly high on the list of priorities um, for Weber and Farker. Yes. Um, got a question from Russ Vernon. This isn't Norwich City related, but please don't everybody switch off. Um, this one for you, Dan. I think I know the answer to this, mate, because I think I've seen you tweet about it. Nothing on NCFC. He says, however, my question for Dan, best Bundesliga game you have commentated on? Easy. May 2017, uh, RB Leipzig 4, Bayern Munich 5, um, a game which had absolutely everything. Leipzig 4-1 up, Bayern come back to win 5-4 with a classic Iron Robin cutting inside goal in the last minute of injury time. 
un- unbelievable. Uh, I've seen the highlights of that game, and I can only imagine what it was like commentating it in, in person, you know. Uh, must have been quite exciting. For anybody that cares, mine is uh, Norwich City 5, Nottingham Forest 1. Johnny Housen, Wes Houlihan, Alex Pritchard, all we worldies. Superb game of football. Um, if there's any final questions to come in, then please send them now or forever hold, well, I say forever hold your peace. Hold your peace until the next transfer-related podcast that I do. Um, just in a, a sort of more general holistic sense, though, Dan, from myself, how are you feeling about Norwich City heading into the new Premier League campaign? Do you think the the gusto with which Stuart Webber and co are going about their business bodes well for a, a season where we can potentially survive in the top flight? I'm fairly positive. I think um, this was an expected promotion. Two years ago, it wasn't. Um, even under Alex Neal, it wasn't in 2015 as well. So this is a promotion they knew was coming from a fairly long way out. So the club, the coach, the sporting director, they're much more streetwise now. They've been here before. They've had the mistakes. They've made the mistakes. They've, we hope, learned from them. Um, and I get the impression the last relegation really bruised Weber especially. Um, I think he's even been quoted as much as saying how he felt when they came down, that sense of, of having failed to achieve their ambition their goal so he'll want to make sure this this season is one they're a prepared for better and b equip themselves much better too because i think there was last time a naivety there was um a clear inexperience in all quarters on the field off the field as well and it's a fairly brutal business the premier league we know it's a it's a such a tough league to compete in um because of the gulf in finances you know norwich was so far behind the rest in terms of what they could afford to do um two years ago it was no surprise they came down yeah they had their moments in the sun the win over man city of course will never be forgotten but it was always going to be a battle to try and you know stop the inevitable which was impossible it was like king canute you know trying (laughs) trying, trying to fight those waves back on the beach so you're right yeah no i I think you're absolutely right sorry i I just think um I think the difference is as well, the one thing that could have made a difference in that campaign was a properly passionate, thriving Carrow Road down the run-in, you know, and obviously it was behind closed doors football due to the COVID pandemic. So I think um, going to war without a gun and then the situation just like everything that could have made that difficult for Norwich City did from the Tottenham VAR decision to everything else that, that sort of happened thereafter. I always think of that as the kind of turning point of that campaign. That's where it all began to go wrong. Um, yeah, so I, I, I must admit, just to kind of reflect on what you're saying, mate, I, I share that enthusiasm and I, I think you're spot on about Stuart Webber. I think it was the first time he'd really failed, wasn't it? He's whole yeah, career exactly. Exactly. It was a wake-up call, and um, you know we know how he's highly regarded, and I'm sure he'll move on to a bigger club than Norwich in the coming uh, seasons. But that first failure, that first checking of his progress, will be that wake-up call that he needs. He won't want to feel that again in May next year when the season's over. He'll want to reflect on a season where Norwich have survived with room to spare, and the work he's doing this summer will, will, will have you know borne fruit and paid off. So, yeah, I think for all of the football club, they're approaching this new season in a position of experience. It's not the great unknown anymore. They've been there. They know what it's like. And I look at the Premier League now for this coming season, and I don't see Norwich as being that far behind the rest. I, I think there's there's okay. a gl- there's, there's a glut of teams um, that Norwich can certainly compete with. Um, and I don't see them at the moment as being among the worst three teams in that division when the season's finished, but obviously there's lots of work to be done by other clubs in terms of transfers too. I think Norwich will go in there with obviously a settled coach, a relatively settled squad as well. They've been there before. They know the school of hard knocks is going to be in the Premier League. And I just think they're going to be far better prepared for it. That's it. It's experience, isn't it, as well? Because some of the younger players in the squad have had that experience of top flight football for a season, you know? And there's going to be the added joke, hopefully, that we're going to have fans back in stadiums at some point. Able, able to watch games regularly and provide that atmosphere a bit like we've had at the Euros, which is, has been fantastic. A um, couple of last questions to get to. Graham Turner, I don't know if it's the Graham Turner, but um, if it is or if it isn't, thanks for getting in touch, Graham. Um, someone like Elias Chair, uh, maybe the, the right kind of idea when trying to replace Buendia. That's an interesting name to throw out there. What, what do you think of that one, Dan? 
I like him a lot um, with them QPR. Obviously, a very, Ooh. very talented, very, very small physically, though, isn't he? And uh, you do it's wonder white. if that might be. I think he's what five foot four or five foot five from memory. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but hey, look at Messi and Maradona. You know, size isn't um, that important in terms of uh, that kind of player. Um, obviously, never played at this level before in the Premier League, but um, certainly in the, in the second tier, very exciting talent, scores goals for QPR, creative spark, um, and I think would be available relatively cheaply too. So, yeah, good name to throw in the mix. Yeah, and I don't think Norwich City fans will have problems with players of that. I just think of Wes Houlihan. Everybody will be uh, quite happy with that one. Um this is one for me, two quick after this, but um, one from me is, if Max Aarons goes, is there anyone you would pick that in, in the Bundesliga, because obviously all the things that we discussed before, strong links and, and Norwich City being known there now, um, you know that league inside out. So if you think in terms of the player situation, the club situation, the price bracket, and the, the right kind of right back who could potentially be available, is there any names you would throw out there? And we should say this is just who you might think would be a good fit. Not not any links or anything like that. But I'm just interested to know because it does seem like a market that is really viable for Norwich City, obviously. So I, I think if, if Max Aarons does go, I can definitely see that being where we go if we if we need a fix in terms of finding a right back. I'm sure there's a contingency plan in place, I should say. But if he does go, is there MD you would pick out? I'd say they've missed one. Um, there was a, a right back um, at Mainz, uh, Philipp Mwena, Austrian international, who was on a free transfer, just gone to PSV Eindhoven. He would have been, I think, a really, really good um, fit at Norwich. Um, can play right or left back. He played for much of last season too, as Mainz um, stayed in, in the Bundesliga after a, a real relegation battle. And yeah, he's gone to PSV um, to join Roger Schmidt there, a, a German coach in uh, the Netherlands. Um, so, um, so yeah, that was one I think they missed. But I think, look, Max Aarons, we know him and Todd Cantwell. I think if they were to stay, <coughs> excuse me, if they they were to stay and have another season at Norwich, it would do them, I think, good as well. They both had good seasons last time in the Premier League, but now they're a year older, a year wiser. I just think give Norwich one more season, lads, and then okay, move on for big money next summer. But I think right now, Aarons and Cat will almost need to stay at Norwich um, to further, as we saw with um, Ben Godfrey, you know, a good season in the Premier League can really establish you. And I just mm. think those two players just need that one more year to do that. Interesting. I agree on one, but not the other. I think Todd Cantwell, definitely true. I think Todd will, I expect him to thrive again in the Premier League because of the type of player that he is. It's just, it suits his game more than championship level. So to see how much his game had come on, uh, particularly to the end, uh, towards the end of the, the the last championship campaign, was was brilliant to see. Max Aarons, on the other hand, I think I, I'm not sure his. <clears throat> excuse me, uh, there's something in the air here. We're both coughing at the same time. Uh, I I think his game develops more if he goes to a different situation where he's challenged to win on a regular basis more often. I think that's the next big step for him. Or if he moves abroad to go to the type of league and the type of football where it allows his game to come into its own and where he can just be that proper rampaging wing-back. Because I expect Norwich City to play with, I mean, it's still Daniel Farker, right? But I expect us to play with a bit more solidity next season. And I'm not just talking about the fact the base of the midfield is strong. I think our full-backs will be slightly just held back a wee bit. The reins will be pulled back a wee bit on them, maybe. And... I think that would make sense. Not sure that suits Max. So I that's just my thoughts on that. Any anything else you want to throw in? <laughs> no, I, th- I think Aaron's we can see is obviously developing into a, a wonderful play. He was linked with Bayern, I think, a few months ago too in the German press. So he's well, on the so radar. Much was in that, by the way. Do you think that was like realistic? I don't know. I mean, I think he's obviously a player. Um, who, I mean, there was also talk of Barcelona too, wasn't there? So he's on the radar of those mega clubs, which I think uh, speaks a lot for just how he's thought of. But um, I'm not sure how much was in the, the buying speculation, certainly. But um, yeah, I mean, we know Max Aarons is already a wonderful player and will be, I think, in the years to come even better. But um, let's hope he's with Norwich for a, a good few more um, seasons yet. That, I would love to see that, but I almost think, I've, I've said this on a few fl- platforms, I think he's the one that almost Norwich City, if there was if there was any of them that, that we could afford to lose this summer, I think 
because he's a fullback, I, I think he's more replaceable than a Todd Cantwell because you can get fullbacks cheaper than you can get attacking midfielders for the most part. They're going to be difference makers. So I think that would be good. And I think having a player that was, that, I mean, Max is brilliant. Don't take this as me being down on Max, anyone. It's just, I think, if we got a player that was maybe a bit taller and could, if we do play a back three on occasion, slot across, that could be that could be potentially um, helpful for, for, for Daniel Farker heading into the season. Final question I'm going to pick out, mate, and this is one I've been dying to ask you for most of this podcast. Who did you play goalie for? Uh, I played for um, uh, a, a non-league team in the Midlands called Lye Town FC, L-Y-E, Lye Town. Uh, as far as their youth team, so we played in the same league as... Um, Birmingham City and West Brom, Hereford United's youth team as well. So it was a fairly good level. Uh, FA Youth Cup played the early rounds of the FA Youth Cup as well. But um, yeah, that was when I was up to the age of 18. And then uh, I went to university and kind of football as a player took a back seat to, you know, being a journalist and writing and talking about it. I, I want to talk, I want to drill down into this. What kind of keeper were you? Were you the Manuel Neuer sweeper keeper? I know it was maybe a wee bit before that was in vogue, but uh, what, what kind of goalie were you? Were you the mad barking orders, Peter Schmeichel type or... Were you more of a sort of calming presence? Like, what what kind of keeper were you? Because they say all goalkeepers are mad. I enjoyed a dive. I was always one for a camera save. I know that, but Tagliuca um, style. Yeah, yeah, I was. Um, yeah, I used to love it. Um, I was. I mean, this was. I began. I was playing at the time they brought in the back pass rules, so I had to adapt at the age of ten or eleven to you know not handling back passes, which was um, difficult. Um, mm -hmm. I was always. My kicking was never great. I was a bit like Andy Marshall in that respect, I think. But um, but no, I, I was always a good, I, I wasn't that big. So I'm five foot ten. So I, I was never going to be um, professional. Uh, I was scouted by a couple of clubs when I was what early teens. So I was looked at. I was looked at by by Spurs and by Villa and by Wolves. Um, but. I was never quite big enough. So, um, you know, the best thing I've done in my career, forget World Cup finals, um, for a day with Anglia TV back in 2003, I had a day training as a goalkeeper at Peterborough with Barry Fry. And that is the Aww. best thing I've done in my entire journalistic career is to have a day as a professional. And we had a game at the end of the session with the first team squad. And you know what? I think I held my own. Um, which I was pretty pleased about, but I was what I was 22, 23 back then. These days I'm 43, and um, yeah, I couldn't play now. I've not played for cool, over a decade now, 11 aside. But um, you never know when you're going to get the gloves out again. But you know what? I was at home last week seeing my mum for the first time in 18 months, and she gave me to bring back my box of old trophies, which are now up in the loft here. Oh, uh, all my old player of the year, players, player, long service medals. Um, happy, happy days. But uh, yeah, my uh, my playing days, um, I remember them fondly. Um, I was okay, but I was never quite good enough to be a professional. But um, I think in the, in the FA Youth Cup, um, we uh, we drew Kettering Town, who were then a conference club, um, mm -hmm. and we took them to a replay and we lost on penalties. Had we won, I believe we'd have played Spurs at White Hart Lane in the next round. Oh, and, and I saved one but my teammates missed two, so we didn't qualify. But um, that was the closest I got to playing at uh, a really, really good level. That's that, that's fascinating, man. Um, last one. Did you come up against any, at least that you were aware of, any players that went on to to do great things in, in your time playing against these various youth teams? I did. I played against a player called, what was his first name? Ledbetter was his surname, not uh, not Grant. He, he went on to play for Wolves, and I think Hereford as well, maybe. And he scored against me from almost the halfway line <laughs> into the top <laughs> corner. So uh, not great memories of that. But um, was it Chris Ledbetter? Um, hey, I can't remember. I know but, Grant Ledbetter. No, it w wasn't oh, him. It, it was, it was in, the, in the Midlands. But um, yeah, um, played against him. I did play for the works team at MUTV um, right. when I was um, in my first job. So this is going back to... 1999 to 2001 we had a wonderful on paper Sunday league team where we had uh, in that team the likes of uh, Mickey Thomas Clayton Blackmore Lee Martin of course who scored the winning goal in the cup final back in what 1990 against Palace in the replay wasn't it yep um so um so yeah played with them so for me to be you know telling Lee Martin where to stand at a corner or a free kick <laughs> you know at the age of 21 was uh, was something else but you know I 
I always say the job I do is second best of playing the game. Um, so I would love to have been a professional, obviously, but I kind of realized that, you know, early twenties that I was never going to make it. Um, so kind of focusing on doing this side of things, but, um, they yeah. had that realization aged five. Mm-hmm. Um, like I used to run about and like everybody else is faster, quicker, better than me. And I used to run about where we pretend microphone when I was a wee boy yeah. and there was, um, <laughs> I can remember. So I, I grew up in one of two housing estates in the village that I'm in. Um, a scheme for a Scottish person, a house and estate to, to England. Uh, and I lived in the new scheme, and there was the old scheme, which was where, uh, and what happened is there was two teams. Now, by virtue of staying in the new scheme, I was automatically a player for the Swing Park Scorers. And then Garage United, from the old scheme, uh, they obviously, what happened was we were playing a game, and I was just running about commentating, trying to kick the ball the wrong way occasionally, whatever. And uh, the ice cream van pulled up, so halftime was called, right? And I can remember Paul Dick, the manager of Garage United, over in, in deep negotiations with Jason Keane, the swing part scorers, star player, captain, whatever. Um, and he's like, I'll give you a bottle of juice and a mix-up if you give us Hodgie for the second half. <laughs> Jason Keane couldn't believe his ears. He's like, you want Hodge? Hodge? Like, I, obviously, right? And he's like, I just get him to commentate for us the second half. And that was like an early sign that I was going to go off and have the, the kind of career trajectory that I've done. So I, like, I think at age five, I was already written off as a player. <laughs> but I, it's, it's funny how these things happen, mate. But it's, it's nice to share a couple of wee stories. Listen, this uh, stream, once again, has been really well watched. Thank you to everyone who has done so. Um, I'm really grateful for you doing that. If you're new to my stuff, then please do hit the button and subscribe to the Hodgie the Hack channel. That way you can watch all the live streams and you'll get notifications about when they're coming up. For people who listen to the audio podcast, subsequently after this, then you can subscribe on all the major podcast players. Just search for Hodge on Nodge and then you will find that. Um, But yeah, I think we'll finish up there, Dan, unless you've got anything else you want to add. No, it's been a real pleasure um, to talk about um, not just uh, Rashitsa, but you know, playing as a goalkeeper myself. It's been a long time since I shared those memories. Um, oh, but uh, you know what? When I have, if I have um, a baby, a child, the first thing I do when they're big enough, get them some gloves out in the back garden, kick some balls, and make them into a goalkeeper themselves. Well, I. But what? If, what? If, well, I suppose the modern goalkeeper, even if they're a really good footballer, you can just make them the best footballing goalkeeper. You know. Um, the the Manuel Neuer of these shores could be. That would be good, wouldn't it? Anyway, everyone, thank you very much for watching. Really appreciate it. Uh, everyone who's um, saying hello and bye-bye and, and got in touch. Amy, thank you for your kind words. Dean, Cameron as well. Really grateful for that. Really grateful to yourself, Dan. Um, you're one of the foremost voices in all things Bundesliga. So the fact that you've been able to spare a bit of time to tell us all about Rashica. And obviously, you know plenty about other footballers as well. It's been really, really good to, to hear. So thank you very much for your time, man. Real pleasure. Cracking everyone else, make sure and subscribe to Hodgie the Hack on YouTube, subscribe to the podcast on the podcast platforms, and all that remains for me to say is on the ball city. Mm-hmm.